This podcast is made possible by our sponsors, The Interchange Bench. They can fill any professional level role in any industry and sector, both short and long term. And Vital Smarts. Have you found yourself in a conversation where emotions have taken control? You can easily get lost in the moment. You might say something you don't truly mean or your meaning is misinterpreted. Crucial Conversations training gives you the skills to be able to say exactly what you mean, exactly how you mean it. Visit vitalsmarts.com.au forward slash DSTM for an exclusive offer for our podcast listeners. My tip for Julie Bishop, yes. her own Tonight Show. Oh, stop it. She's knocked back a governor role. She's got out of politics. She's an absolute rock star. I'm serious about my glutes. I could hardly walk the next day. Yeah. Because you just, you know, up, 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 up. Gillen doesn't get interviewed like Andrew Demetriou did. He won't comment publicly to the media. He's much more of a politician. He'll talk to journos off the record, but he won't say anything publicly. What did you just say? You're planning a bit of a green green story story on the track. Well, (laughs) fashion-wise. Anna from the Op Shop's doing blue. Well, what are you planning? What colour are you planning? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever gym gear is clean on the day that I pack. My case. Oh, no, I, I hope you're planning a bit more than that. Can you imagine? Oh, well, I Trump v. Oprah. Wouldn't but, that be good? But he basically stood up and said he was a shopaholic, an alcoholic, a cocaine addict, a bulimic, and he had issues with weed, he had issues with prescription drugs. It is dark. It doesn't gild the lily about all of his problems. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello, and welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. I am Corey Perkin, and here with episode 88. Two fat ladies in bingo parlance or bingo lingo, Caroline Wilson. We are not two fat ladies, Caroline. Oh, I was just, I'm because just staring we are, at you, shocked. Because we are working so hard for our forthcoming walking trip. We are svelte. We are fit. <laughs> I've reintroduced myself to my glutes for the first time in 34 years. I'm sitting. Well, you've you've finally, finally band aid action on the blisters. <laughs> you've finally achieved your May challenge, which we'll hear about in a minute. Yes, and look, Caro, lots to talk about today. And I'm here a... in Lycra. I'm fresh from the gym. <laughs> you not are a great, fresh from the gym. Not, not a, great a great look. look. <laughs> but I don't at think least Jane, I've done it. I don't think Jane will be taking photos. Um, today's conversation, from the incredibly relevant to the utterly irrelevant, we're going to look at Anthony Albanese's new Labor shadow ministry, and the rise of Christina Keneally and the a- AFL's. Gillan McLaughlin half-term report, I would suggest. Caro um, mm. will give us that. And of the 3,527 Democrats who have put their hand up to be president in 2020, we're going to look at just a few of those. Caro has seen the new Elton John film. I can't wait to hear about that. I have a recipe in a book, Caro is Grumpy, which given the fact that she's about to jump on the plane for a nice little holiday in the sun... Seems a tad querulous, I would have thought. But anyway, she's querulous. grumpy about something. Querulous. Oh, it's always been one of my favourite words. Uh, but first, everyone's favourite segment, our apologies. And I have to start. Yeah, I think you definitely have to start. So, everyone, last week I talked about the wonderful John Lennon and Yoko Ono documentary, which I said was on Netflix. Well, Facebook went off the Don't Shoot the Messenger account almost imploded with people saying, I can't find it. It was actually screened on SBS. And one of my kids reminded me during the week, mum, you taped it. You didn't see it on Netflix. So I got a bit of confusion there. I'm sorry. But if it is listed on Google as There's a lot of stuff SBS on, Netflix, on demand. Corey, and you go through a lot of documentaries and films to realise it's not there. It's actually very annoying. Yeah, I'm sorry, everyone. Just Google uh, the... the um, 
documentary, <laughs> which is called Above Us Only Sky. Well, that's why you gave the recommendation and told why should they didn't need to Google because you said to look <laughs> No, I know. We'll just start yeah, all over Apology again. accepted. SBS On Demand. So I'm really sorry about that. But thanks to everybody who called me up on that. And I'm sorry that I mucked it up. And Lynn Wright, one of our favourite potties, who's always contacting us with her thoughts, um, she says... Caro's crush, uh, your crush last week, Caro and Damien Hardwick, and his sensitive approach to coaching. Well said, Caro. So nice to see some affection in a male-dominated sport. I believe that bonding of a team speaks volumes when it comes to success. Well done, Damien. Oh, thank you, and hello to you, Lynn. It's lovely to hear from you. Uh, you know, Lynn's one of Lynn's relatives once made me a Richmond Garden gnome. Oh. Yeah, you know the Richmond Garden gnome. You could go into business. Well, after Richmond won the flag, it stood proudly. It stood proudly grand final week on the top of our house. And then I insisted on leaving it there for the whole year until I thought there might be back-to-back. I thought it might have another year, but the rest of the family were quite relieved when it came down. But you know it's one of those end-of-year 12 or end-of-university course things when kids give each other a challenge, 10 things you've got to seek around Melbourne. Garden Gnome apparently is number one or two on the list. Yep. Oh, look, this it is used a, to be Bert Newton's wig as well. But This is the cutest little garden gnome. It might have a little stint in your new veggie patch, Corrie. Well, maybe it could come into <laughs> Don't Shoot the Messenger and we could put it on the desk. Um, uh, uh, hello to Lily Reid on uh, our Instagram account, the Don't Shoot Pod Instagram account. Just finished hanging out with you both on my earphones walking. Love the show again. I wanted to know more about Brad Scott, but thank you. And I agree about David Spears and Nancy Pelosi's Facebook. Just finishing the Cazalet casting off and ready for the fifth and last. Oh, oh, oh so sad. Lily Reed. I'm so glad we introduced you to the Cazalets. Isn't that fantastic? It, it, is, it is really so sad. And I won't have a crush on a week on a coach this week, crush of the week on a coach this week, Corey. But Reese Shaw was pretty impressive in his first game. Though, you know, to think we were writing about Reese's father, Ray, all those years ago. Oh, and Tony. In our early like, days, I know. And Ray was always good looking, but I remember Raiden he used to have a cigarette in his mouth at half time or. Tony. No, Ray Shaw. Ray Shaw? Yeah, I seem to remember Ray was a big puffer of the fags. Anyway, to be confirmed. Yeah, well, if if you're wrong, you'll hear about it. I'm sure I will. Um, Thanks to our show sponsors, The Interchange Bench and Vital Smarts, two fabulous local companies, and links and details are in our show notes about all the things that they do for us. Now, goal of the month for May... Now, we heard last week that you bonded with your children. Any more bonding that you need to add before I talk about mine? Um, no, although Clementine very kindly, um, you and I had drinks with um, a couple of other gals last night who we hadn't seen for a while, and Clementine very kindly rang and said, would she like me to come and pick me Would she like me for her to come and pick me up? And I was walking home in the rain. That was a very nice thing to do. Oh, that's and then we not just, really a bonding experience. Well, that's just paying back 22 years of well, th- well, all a, the lifts you've given a, Clementine. It's a very nice thing to do. <laughs> it is and, nice. Um, oh, no, I haven't haven't seen Ned. Caught up with Rose for a lovely lunch where we um, brought raffle tickets and we won the Sonos speakers. Oh. Yeah. How good was that? Where did you buy the raffle tickets? At um, uh, uh, My friend Man- Mandy Mandy, the perfectly named Mandy Mandy, puts on this wonderful, wonderful fundraiser for Koala Kids, which raises money for families whose children have cancer. It's, it's, it's a, such a good cause. It's a fabulous organisation. It was a great lunch, beautifully done. And um, yeah, um, we won the Sonos speakers. Oh, that's fantastic, Carol. I <laughs> and I, I gave Rose the money and she bought the raffle tickets. And I said, if we win, I'm getting the prize. <laughs> we can, we that, can listen to Joe. We, we, no, that's being mean. We can listen to Joni Mitchell and Eagle Rock even louder I, at your place. You know I don't do Eagle Rock. 
What about you? Tell us about your steps because it was going to be all four of us and then one by one we all pulled out for legitimate Good reason. reasons. Good reasons. But you, even Although though... Although Car- Coco was going to join us too and she just pulled out because of weather reasons. So the night before the walk, which was almost the last day of May, so I thought I'd better hurry this up, uh, the weather report... <laughs> Jane Bunn, who we love. Hi, Jane. Yes, that. Can, that oh, thank you to everyone who's corresponded on that as well. Jersey um, or not, yeah. Ja- Jane Bunn said it, was, it had snowed that day in the Dandenongs. I thought, oh, well, that's going to be a bit of a challenge, get the Nordic skis out. <laughs> anyway, Coco that night said, well, I don't think you should go, Mum. You know, she was texting and I said, look, you, you stay in bed. I'm going to see what the weather. A perfect day when I woke up that morning, actually. So I had I looked at the um, Mount Dandenong weather thing and I had a window of opportunity. And boy, did I make the most of it because I was as I was coming down, it started to rain. So the thousand steps, off I went. And it was really worth it. And um, gosh, I was tired at the end. My legs were a bit sore. A couple of tips if anybody ever wants to do it. Don't, as I did, put into your sat-nav or your Google Maps uh, a thousand steps walk the Kokoda Trail because it tends to take you to the back of the mountain. <laughs> so oh. I did a bit of driving around. I thought um, you were going to say New Guinea. But <laughs> that would have been there I was in Port Moresby. <laughs> uh, so my personal trainer, Rosie, said that I should have actually put it. Her, her suggestion was put in the Thousand Steps Cafe, which is at the bottom of the steps, which is a really good idea. Uh, my other suggestion, well, I didn't go there, Carol, because I was on the run because I was running so late. I had my win- my window of opportunity with the weather and I'd been driving around the Dandenongs. I was oh. almost at the cuckoo thinking, where am oh, I? So you didn't do any other Dandenong stuff? Oh, no, I had to get in and out while the, while the sun shone. The second tip is go early. So by the time I got there, it was about 10, 30, 11, car park full, second car park full. Everybody walks this trail. So by the time I went from the back car park up to the steps, I'd almost done, like I'm sure I'd done a thousand steps already. Oh. So that was, um, that would be my suggestion. It was like the early. time I went to the Mornington Peninsula, the hot springs. And um, I took my daughter. It was a bit of a, bon- yet another bonding experience for her birthday. Mother. And we had the best time, but there were, it was a Thursday more late morning. And it was absolutely packed. And I'm, I'm like, why aren't you all at work? What are you all doing here? I mean, I was, I was horrified. Why don't, do people just not go to work anymore? Well, lots of people like us work shift work and different things. You know, there I was having a day off in the middle of the week. I'm sure a lot of other Victorians mm, do, Flexible Carol. hours had no meaning. <laughs> uh, the other thing I'd say is wear layers. I, I, it was very cold when I started. It was very hot. As I How long did it take you? Um, I didn't time it. Actually, isn't that funny? I didn't time it. Maybe about 40 minutes or something. I don't know. Up and there back. Are t- there are two tra- tracks. Uh, yeah, up 40 minutes an hour. There are two tracks. One is a very narrow staircase, as narrow as a staircase at home. So I don't think they're big, wide steps. And that would be another suggestion. Don't bring your sticks unless you're going on the other trail. So there's one trail, which is the very steep steps. And there's another trail, which is a wider track, which is just an incline of about, what is that? What am I doing? Oh, okay. 50 degrees or... No, forty-five. So more, it takes yeah, so it whatever. takes longer. That one, it's more distance, but not as steep. Correct. So which correct. one did you do? I did the thousand steps up, so the little staircase. So no sticks because you couldn't fit them in, and uh, then I came down the other way. And then uh, the other thing I did, which is I, I'd like to say that I did this because I was on a bit of an historical learning journey. I only did it because I was bloody tired, which is to lean on 
the Kokoda Trail has all these historical maps of the Kokoda Trail um, where important battles were fought and everything and they're dotted along the way of the walk. Well, you can read them and it's terribly interesting. You can lean on them and rest as I did and read them. Oh, so you, you didn't just go full belt. You stopped oh, come on off way. it. I don't know. I've, 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 it's, it's a mystery to me. Oh, it's an, let me take you there one day. How and does it compare to climbing to the lighthouse at Byron Bay? Is it like four times that? Uh, it's, it's more, yeah, it's more intense than that if you do the steps because you're using, I mean, I'm serious about my glutes. I could hardly walk the next day because yep. you just, you know, up, 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 up. So I was trying to do, toward the end when I was feeling quite huffy puffy, I thought, right, I've got to do like 100 to 150 steps and then I can have a break because I was getting really quite um, tired. Um, and don't expect a big selfie moment at the top with a view of Melbourne in the background because the trees have grown since this walk was first oh. <laughs> designed. So you're actually in the middle of a forest. You are up, but you know, you're you're there. And then the other tip, Carol, is put something on Instagram as I did because all your friends just think you're such a hero. But I received lots of lovely messages from people saying, I want to come next time and Yeah, no, you did. Well done you. You created a bit of a stir. So what's your June challenge, Corrie? Okay, well I've decided that I'm going to uh, um, swing on your coattails. I'm going to copycat you. I have never read a Mary Stewart, as you know, and ever since you've been talking about her novels in the bookshop, people have been coming in demanding the, Car- the Caroline Wilson, Mary Stewart group of Which books. Which one have you got there? I've decided to do Stormy Petrel. Oh, yep. Yeah. Okay. Set in Scotland. As you know, I want to live there next year for a year, a month. I'm I don't a, think a I've read that. I don't think I've oh, read that well, one. Oh, well, you can borrow this because I'm going to take it on our little holiday Oh, no, together. brilliant. Brilliant. Well, you should start off with a Greek one, but okay. I'm happy with Stormy Pitch. No, I'm, going, I'm, going, I'm more likely to go to Scotland than Greece. Anyway, uh, that's one. And the other thing I'm going to do, Caro, is Bohemian Rhapsody. Go and I'm see go- the film. I'm going to watch it. Well, that's a. I mean, that's a fun thing to do. That's a, <laughs> how will you find it now? Do challenges have to be miserable? No, they? that no. Well, they, they have to be a degree of making an effort. I suppose you do. <laughs> it will be an effort now to find it because it's finished. <laughs> For me, that's right. I'll probably be searching Netflix Fox, or yeah, something, you know, and then give I think the it wrong is tip. on Foxtel. I think it is on Foxtel because they're advertising it all the well, time. Anyway, oh, that's a good challenge. The, the, the reason the reason the movie challenge came about, Cara, was I was up at Ballarat on the weekend with the kids. We all had a weekend away up there with the family and. We were looking for something to watch and all of these movies were coming through on some, I don't know, Netflix or whatever it was, Bohemian Rhapsody. Let's watch that. The kids said, oh, mum, haven't you seen it yet? And then Green Book, seen it. A Star is Born, seen it. So I realised I have not seen one 2019 Oscar Best Picture nominee, as you keep reminding me, I don't go into the movies anymore. No, well, it's got to change. That's so what's, got to what's change. What's going to be yours? Well, I've started mine and I think I bored you with it the other day. I, for the first time ever, I'm making olives. So I had all these olives. No, you don't make olives. The tree well, makes olives. Well, you know what I mean. I'm going to brine. Marinate I'm, them. I'm doing. Them. I'm two weeks in, and it's a bit of an issue because I'll be away for a couple of weeks. But um, I've done the first two weeks, which is you put them in water. So I pick them all off my tree because there's a lovely man who's been picking them from the trees and making olive oil. But they, they, I don't know what happened well, this I hope year. he gives you a bottle. He gives us a beautiful bottle oh, of olive cool. oil, and it's incredible. In fact, he told me he was going into business with... Dare I? Dare I? I Mr. Cobram. He said he'd been talking to Mr. Cobram. He's a lovely man who um, I know from Caroline Wilson's olives. No, well, 
he demand picks, a piece of the no, action. It, or at the, the very deal, least, tell me. It's a, a great deal. He picks olives from trees around the area, around the Mornington Peninsula. Cobram, I have something to do. And you can have my olives. And everyone's trees he takes them from. Everyone's trees he takes them from gets a beautiful wine bottle, big wine bottle full of this beautiful, it's cloudy, really legitimate, lovely extra virgin olive oil. Anyway, so he said, oh, I didn't get to your tree this year, but I'll still give you a bottle. I said, well, I've got all these olives. So I picked them. I mean, there's enough. To, I it's didn't. not his fault you have all this. Don't say it in well, such a Well, he said he was coming and he never came. Voice. But anyway, you know, like a normal container of olives you buy at the supermarket. I picked about, oh, there's, there were more. I just didn't have time. I picked about enough to make about four of those tubs. And I've done the first two weeks, which you put them in water, not salt, that comes later. You just put them in water and every day or every two days you change the water. Well, my sister-in-law, Janelle, has done this before and she says it's, you know, you've got to churn them regularly. Who's going to do that while you're away? Well, Clem promises me that she will. But I've got to do the next brining stage next, which involves – there's one recipe that um, – a lovely woman who I don't know, but um, who's a friend of the family called Wendy Cooper. She gave me this great recipe where I, there's a bit of heating up and salt and bay leaf action happening now. But anyway, I'll let you know how they go. I'm two weeks in. So well, that's my Miss, June Miss challenge. Miss Jane and I look forward to our little They're coming um, in. Don't they're, we? <laughs> they're coming in with wine. Um, one, one recipe says it's a six-month process. Another recipe is a six-week I don't know. Jane's sort of smiling here. I'm just going to say that I did olives about six years ago, Caro. Very exciting. What, and they're really... still in the tank? No, they're still in the jars in the cupboard because I'm too scared to eat them because I'm worried I'm going to get botulism. <laughs> oh. Well, my friend Deb made me some a few years ago. She kept being given and they were beautiful. But, oh, of course, I... you know, Brendan, I bring home these tu- this tub of olives and I'm not home and they're sitting on the kitchen bench and Brendan goes, oh, great, and he bit into one. <laughs> He goes, they're disgusting. Why do you bother? I said, well, then you don't eat them raw, you idiot. No, he's now, not an idiot, Cara, but he before, thought they were great. Before we um, we move on to important matters, or well, this is an important matter, actually, your cousin Tom's lovely wife, Alex, dropped into the shop the other day and said, I have a present for you She's and a wonderful podcast supporter. Thank you, Alex. From the early gifts. days, Alex Howard. And it's called Aquapower Collapsible Water Bottle, and she thought that it might be handy in our pack. When oh, we go for walking. a walk. So, wow. it's a, what a wonderful I've thing. I've never so heard it's of it. It's completely flat and it's just plastic, really. It's just a flat plastic, you know, in the shape of a bottle. And oh, when, it's you, a put drinking the wa- water when bottle. you put the water in it, it fills up. I presume it keeps cold if you stick it in the fridge. So, isn't that a great idea? So, do you want the red one or the green one? Green. Oh, God, to match your eyes. <laughs> well, I'm, oh, I'm, my no, God. No, I'm planning a bit of a green story on the track. Oh, thanks, Alex. That's beautiful. That's a good local tip. I'm sorry. So- what did you just say? Well, thanks, Alex. No, who no. Gave, thanks, Corey. No. <laughs> what was the green? You're planning a, bit, planning of a, a bit of a green story, story on the track. Well, fashion-wise. <laughs> well, Anna's good. Anna from the op shop's doing blue. Well, what are you planning? What colour are you planning? <laughs> what if a gym gear is clean on the day that I pack my oh, case? Oh, I, I hope you're planning a bit more than that. It's a, it's a, you know, I we're did. walking into ye old <laughs> local pubs in ye old villages of England. I mean, we want to be looking slightly impressive. Oh, Anna, I think's going very bright. They're going to go. Oh, isn't it lovely? That girl's in green. That isn't one's in she pink. Be, isn't no, she, Anna did put. Anna did make be, some sense. Be safe, isn't she? No, well, Anna, Anna made some sense the other day when I said oh, I'll probably just have a black slicker or something, and she said, "Oh no, in case you fall down the cliff, you've got to have a colour so the rescue workers can find no, you." No, I, I think she might be fluoro. I think she's going fluoro, and with a bit oh. of, with a touch of blue. 
Okay, anyway. we have to move on to Australian politics because this is all too much fun. What is happening? Uh, ScoMo has gone off to the Solomon Islands which, to, you know, promise money and everything. He is such a man on a mission, isn't he? Well, he this is. He has ten men. He's got a majority, which we're happy. We're happy that someone has got a majority. Um, the, the, the thing that really caught my eye over the last week, Corrie, was Bill Shorten's post-election speech. Not the one he made on the night, which was good, but the one he made in a the few days. Room. Oh, I was really disappointed. I was so angry. Don't you think he lost half of his supporter base? Yep. Yep. I. I just thought, who are he? Like, well, clearly no more media advisors working for him. He just shot himself in the You've foot. You've got to take some responsibility. Totally. I mean, I know, and, and if Hillary Clinton was sort of a bit similar, really. At some point, you have to say, people didn't like me enough to elect me, and I must be part of the reason. And I think that had he said that, along with, you know, the beer moths and the wealthy business interests, and it's all true, and it's true about Clive Palmer, and it's true about the media campaign against him, the News Corp media campaign campaign against him. But Daniel Andrews in Victoria had a, a much more vicious News Limited campaign against him and he won with an e- extended majority. So, I mean, I don't think it's been proven that News Limited maybe don't have the influence if you run a good campaign, as Daniel Andrews did. Bill Shorten's campaign clearly had some flaws in it, and Scott Morrison ran a really, really good campaign. So I was disappointed that he didn't take any responsibility. And I, I was it- too. And if you looked in the in the vision or the cutaways that the television cameras had of the caucus members, there were some very unimpressed people in that crowd, such as Penny Wong and so on, who were just like, "Bill, shut up." And is it true? I mean, it was leaked of somewhere. It was leaked to the Age that he plans a comeback. Yes. So whether that's true or not, I, I don't. He I, denied. He denied it, and he has been. He has been. Um, he remains in shadow cabinet, which I think is a very good move. And he's been given the responsibility of the national disability insurance scheme, which of course is something that he started under the Julia Gillard government, yep. and executed very, very well. And it is a cause that he is most passionate about. He was probably a bit agitated not to get health, but uh, look, at least Albanese has brought him in, which into the fold, which is probably pretty clever. Chris Bowen, of course, who was the key architect of Labor's taxation reforms and proposals in the election. He's been sent off to health and he's been replaced by Jim Chalmers. I have no idea how Jim Chalmers will go as, tre- as shadow treasurer. And Joel Fitzgibbon, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Caro, with, um, with Brendan, who just lost so many votes in that Hunter Valley region, he has actually been made shadow resources industry minister as well as agriculture. And they think that they, that will help Labor repair its uh, relationships in that area, which I hope it does too. And a lot more women, of course, in the in the Scott Morrison cabinet. Yes, which is a good thing. I'm a bit cross though. Remember you and I last week talked about how much we liked Claire O'Neill when she appeared? Yep. Well, she's still in the outer shadow cabinet or shadow ministry or whatever they call it. They were hoping that some, a lot of her supporters were hoping that she would get some sort of key portfolio, but she's still in the outer cabinet. I don't think that's such a great idea, Albo. But anyway, but what about Christina Keneally? Well, she's just clearly, that, that was his that was his captain's pick and he wasn't going to be swayed from it and he's offended a few people by doing it. Look, I got to know her when she was running, I want to say Netball Australia, but I'm pretty sure it's basketball and we'll just get Miss Jane to um, have a look at that. we're sick of apologies. <laughs> well, she, she was a very, I mean, she 
it was just interesting that that was the role she took when she left state politics. And I found her incredibly impressive to deal with. Um, I'm really glad she's come back into politics and he clearly is absolutely determined absolutely determined to promote her and she's going to be the next, you know, woman most likely. Well, if any, I think if anybody can um, suck the oxygen away from Peter Dutton, it's probably her. You know, she's high profile. She's she's clearly ready for the ready for the combat and ready for the charge. And it was basketball, by the way. Oh, okay. Thank you, Jane. Um, yes, thank you, Jane, for um, no more apologies then. That's good. But I, I, I think she's probably the right person for the job to take him on. Of course, the first thing that Peter Dutton said was damn and condemn her, saying they've appointed somebody who doesn't get national security and somebody who doesn't get border protection. Well, I always think that when you come out having a crack within the first day of somebody being appointed your shadow minister, you clearly are a little worried about them being the shadow minister, but we'll see what happens. Well, I, and, and I just, I look forward to seeing, because he didn't really get that much detail about what the Libs were going to do, I look forward to seeing what Scott Morrison does. And um, my tip for Julie Bishop, her, oh, own, yes. her own Tonight Show. Oh, stop it. Oh, well, she's knocked back a governor role. She's knocked back, she's got out of politics. She's... Uh, uh, oh, weren't there thoughts that she wanted an international posting? She might get an international posting, but she's a good TV performer. She she looks she's like the picture of Dorian Gray. She gets more glamorous and more youthful by the day. She was at a she hosted Dixie a, Marshall and the girls. I want you to know that I did not say that. Okay, she looks amazing. <laughs> no, she looks fantastic, and she's hosting um, a lot of. She's been at a lot of big charity events in Sydney lately. Well, one in particular that a relative of mine was at. She's an absolute rock star. Yeah, look, she does. She does command the screen when she's on it. There's no doubt about that. Was it Channel Nine on election night? She was on their coverage. Yep, yeah, yep. I, 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 I thought that she was so succinct and everything. Look, wouldn't it be great if she took over from the the continuing ascent, ascending star of Peter Credlin, who just seems to be going from strength to strength over on Sky News? It would be good to have a sensible, oh no, liberal, she's, she's, sensible she's conservative going, she's woman. She's going wider than the political sphere. Oh, she, no, no, like she's, Mark Walsh show you're talking. Yeah, she, I reckon she would be fantastic in that role. Really? Just saying. How interesting. Okay. Watch this space. Now, on to footy. Uh, Gillan McLaughlin, of course, has had um, an interesting start or first half to the AFL season. How do you think he's been going and what would you say were perhaps his three toughest issues that he's had to face in the last few months? Well, Corey, we're bringing forward the midterm report because we're, it's midway through the home and away season. I know, but you'll be, yes, yeah. but you'll be away I'll be for in, that. I'll be in further shores when it's actually the mid, mid, mid-year. Um, now, I think Gillan McLaughlin would point to ratings and he would point to crowds and he'd say, everything's great. But I think he's had a really difficult year and I think he's made some really poor calls. One of the biggest issues of course has been the release of this Adam Goods documentary which we've talked about a lot this too but the more footy based one, the final quarter which has been very challenging for the game and I think he I'm disappointed that he wasn't stronger when he was asked about it on radio the other day. Um, he did a, his first round of radio interviews a couple of weeks ago, you know, the Saturday pre-game interviews where he does the ABC, 3AW, Triple M, SEN, etc. Does he do the rounds? Does he go from one to the other yep, to the other? Yep. Oh, okay. And it's sort of become a bit of a tradition. Andrew Dimitri used to do it. He does it about twice a year. He was, look, frankly, he was poor. 
It was a poor performance. It happened after a very contentious. It was remember when Dane Rampey from the Sydney Swans climbed the goal, the behind mm-hmm. post or the goal post, and um, Gillan McLaughlin. And that was clearly going to be the issue of the day. Should Essendon have got a free kick? If they had, they would have won the game, etc., etc., etc. As the events unfolded days later, Rampey was fined for what he did. Um, I think that Gillan McLaughlin came in. He clearly didn't know the rule. He said it was good umpiring because it was pragmatic umpiring and common sense umpiring. Well, how are the umpires going to cope against all these different rule changes and more nuanced changes and interpretations if they're being told to be pragmatic umpires? I mean, it, it's just too difficult. So really poor that this – I mean, Jared Healy, who is – you know, not someone who's a Gillan McLaughlin basher. He basically went on air the week later and said Gillan McLaughlin should just defer all football questions to Steve Hocking, his footy boss. Now, one of Gillan's key strengths was his footy knowledge. So I think that's going to be a real that, – that was a very poor performance by him and across the board. But surely he would have learned by that. So if there's another rule question or a rule issue in the next few rounds. He – well, it doesn't matter now. I mean, that, that was one of the more contentious so think, issues so of the think, season. So you think that will he was stay poor. with him? He was poor and he performed badly and an issue that should have been killed in one day was still being talked about five days later. The umpires are his other big challenge. And um, after the Anzac Day game where there was some absolute, you know, remember that Scott Pendlebury Collingwood captain was booed because people were so angry with some of the umpiring decisions. Um, the umpires were angry that Gillen didn't come out more strongly in his regular Neil Mitchell. Gillen doesn't get interviewed like Andrew Demetriou did. He won't comment publicly to the media. He's much more of a politician. He'll talk to journos off the record, but he won't say anything publicly, which is actually incredibly, well, obviously frustrating for journos, but it's also annoying that he won't take a position on things. And um, I think it's because I, I don't think he trusts his instincts the way Andrew did. But he went on Neil Mitchell and he wasn't strong in his support of the umpires. They were absolutely filthy. They almost put out a press release. Then they just ignored protocols and did their own interviews. His media department is struggling because they're undermanned. I was going to ask you about that. How is his media advisor? Performing well? Well... Jay Allen is a new head of media, but Liz Lucan, who was an executive in charge of the media, is staying on as a consultant. So I'm not sure exactly who holds the strings there. But I think that, um, you know, last week the AFL were really heavy-handed with the Richmond Cheer Squad member who called an umpire a green maggot, and he was eject- he was escorted out and Richmond um, suspended him for three weeks from sitting with the Cheer Squad. <laughs> I mean, I think they didn't – They the thought was that he didn't use the maggot word. He had an F in front of maggot, not M, So that which is a much worse thing to say in a crowd. But the fact is the AFL then sent out a press release saying this was nothing to do with us, it was Richmond. Complete balderdash. It was them. They were heavy-handed. The game is the, owned but, by the custodians of the game. But No, but why don't they stand up for their convictions and say if they're going to be tough mm. on umpires? Why do they try and put it over to the clubs? There's a wishy-washiness and a lack of leadership at the moment. St Kilda and Carlton are two big problems for him too. I mean, Carlton are performing so badly. <coughs> Gillen's own club is St Kilda, and you feel he's pulling a few strings there. So the, both well, those That's co- a big claim. Oh, he's very influential at St Kilda and his close friend Simon Lethleen is running their footy department now, who Gillen tried to get the CEO's job at Carlton. How much longer on Gillen McLaughlin's contract? 
Oh, I don't know if he's contracted, but he'll be here next year. And do you, and as far as your sources tell you, are all commissioners on board with his? Oh, I think the C, the chairman, reign? the chairman Richard Goyder thinks he's fabulous. Okay. He's a huge Gillan McLaughlin admirer. But I would say that, in terms of his public performances this year, he's been poor. And my final one was his very. Oh, there's a feeling that the game is getting too American in many ways. That scoring hasn't improved with all these rule changes, and this. The way he's trying to soften the public up to a night or twilight grand final. I mean, they, they led this phony sort of media campaign earlier this year when they'd already decided it was going to be held at day. Um, I, I felt that that was really manipulating the public as well. So I think he's had a, a disappointing first half of the year. He needs to lift. Oh, okay. There you go, Dylan. Take note. Now, oh, Gillen. Gillen. Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know no. where that came from. I'm distracted by your uh, rain jacket because it keeps making noises every time you gesticulate. Oh, I'm rustling. You're I'm rustling. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, so strip okay. off, babe. Okay. okay. No. All right. You, you but st- it's not green, I note, Caro. So that's obviously not going in the wardrobe. For There'll the be green underneath. You can hear me unzipping it and taking it off. <laughs> it's not the pretty pink one. <laughs> I'm um, sorry about that. Yeah, poor Jane's been going up and down with her levels. Now, um, over to the States, Caro, and I just wanted to do, just do a super uh, quick thing, the fact that, that there are 20 for Democrat candidates. There are not 2,000, like I said before, although we're still waiting to hear if a couple of other high-profile candidates such as, or potential candidates such as John Kerry put their hat in the ring. But 24 Democrat candidates this week kick off their charge for the 2020 presidential race. They are travelling around the country in a series of debates, which I actually think is a really interesting way of choosing your candidate so the whole country can have some sort of buy-in and listen in. Leading the charge at the moment, the bookies tip is former Vice President Joe Biden. He's the early front runner. We have to imagine that's because name recognition. Yep. And there's a lot of fondness at the moment out there for the Obama administration for obvious reasons. And then following up behind him, uh, two senators, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, who, of course, was the 2016 runner-up to Hillary Clinton. He's going around again. Now, I have to say, I have become a real fan of these two. My first thought when they decided to stand was, oh, more old people. Where's the, where's the youth of today? Where's the next generation? But they are really, they are really nailing policy, big ideas, uh, change. They're, they're reading the um, social and community climate. And so they're not just focusing on public policy, but they're reading things from, you know, gun control. Older age can be an advantage, Corrie. It doesn't necessarily... I agree. I agree. And what they're doing, Caro, and their team is they are smashing it on social media. So I follow uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders on Instagram. I also follow um, Joe Biden as well, but particularly Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, they post every day. Bernie Sanders will often post twice a day, and he's making little films of himself talking to the public in a church, in a town hall, uh, lots of, uh, not just Democrat people in the crowd either, I would suggest. I mean, the other day he took on a whole field of Republicans and talked to them about, uh, I can't remember what the issue was. Really impressive anyway. And then following up from those Three. Uh, are there any Republicans nominate, nominating? Against there are. The yeah, there there have been a couple, and we're still waiting to see. Um, nobody mu- much likes their chances. There's a former Massachusetts governor, William Weld, who has announced his candidacy, and there's a Maryland governor, Larry Hogan, and a former Maryland, Ohio Maryland. Oh, okay, Maryland. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, My own bureau chief in London, Bruce Wilson, used to I used to call it Maryland. <laughs> Carol, it's Maryland. Maryland. <laughs> um, and Ohio governor John Cassie. 
British. So we, you know, we don't know what's going to happen there. But anyway, I, I have to say also that Kamala Harris, who I'm a bit of a fan of, and Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, who is the uh, former um, former uh, Na- uh, not Navy Army. Uh, man, he's done a couple of tours of duty. Uh, he is gay. He's married, uh, and he's just so on to so many of the big picture issues. And and he really does take it up to Donald Trump time and time again. So they're there as well. And then there's a whole lot. The next level down is people like Kirsten Gellibrand, Corey Bruckner, um, and Beto O'Rourke, who seems to just be fizzing out. We had hopes for him. Carol, I have a bit of a scoop here. I'm going to say this here and now. I was with. Um, a very influential friend of mine who lives part of the time in New York. I say influential because she's very high up in the not-for-profit sector. And she went to a conference in Africa recently, and there were members of Oprah Winfrey has a big philanthropic arm to her business, and there were members of the Oprah Winfrey team there, and they were talking about a forthcoming big loving. I think it's going to be in the States or somewhere next year. And the question was asked, you know, Oprah Winfrey, would she be able to come along? And one of Oprah's advisors said immediately, she will not be available in 2020. So when my friend told me this, I said, standing for Democrat nomination, perhaps? Oprah? Oh, my Lord. I mean... (laughs) Can you imagine? Oh, well... Trump v. Oprah. Wouldn't that be good? I mean, that is just As ridiculous. my friend said to me, she said, you might be a bookseller, but you're still an investigative journalist. Well, <laughs> anyway, there you go. So that's, you've heard it here. You've heard it here for Ronald the first Reagan. time. Oh, heavens to Betsy. Well, that's interesting. Corrie, speaking of um, people that you're, I think you're an Oprah admirer, aren't you? I am. Yeah, I do like her a lot. Can we, can we move on to Crush of the Week now? Yeah, please. So this is thanks to the Interchange Bench which sponsors this segment every week. And for players to take your work team to the top of their game, that's where you need to head, the interchange bench. They can fill any professional level in any industry and sector, both short and long-term roles. Call 1-800-I-BENCH or see interchangebench.com.au. Corrie, for the interchange bench, who have you got a crush on this week? Well, I'm following your lead and I'm turning to the football world for my crush, just as you did last week and the week before and the week before and the week before. No, not true, and you know that. Neil Danaher is my crush of the week, and it's probably a bit of an obvious one given that the fifth big freeze challenge is coming up. But what this extraordinary man has done for motor neuron disease in Australia is really quite remarkable. He has spearheaded uh, and he's co-founded this whole kind of big freeze idea. He's raised millions of dollars, he and his team, to fund research projects aimed at finding a cure for motor neuron disease, which is a terrible thing, Carol. It attacks your nerve cells. I know you know about it. I know you've spoken and interviewed Neil before. But I actually went into detail last night on the Fight MND website, which I urge everyone to have a look at. So it's not just a fun footy thing. You've got to understand what this is all about. It just attacks the muscles that enable us to move, speak, breathe, swallow. It is the most terrible thing. You can buy a freeze beanie on fightmnd.org.au. Danaher, of course, has received a member of the Order of Australia Award in 2016 for his efforts in this area since he uh, announced he was battling motor neuron disease. He announced that in 2014. And... uh, in January, Caro, there was an interview with his daughter, Beck on 3AW Radio, where she talked about there's a new drug that is actually being tested to slow the progression of the disease. And the 
Um, Which is where a lot of this funding on Queen's well, I was going Monday to say the, fi- go. the fight yeah. MND Foundation at that moment gave five hundred thousand dollars toward the trial, and they hope to give more. So that is nothing mm. to sneeze at. So if people who are at the footy and there's a bit of can shaking going on, and you think where's my money going? It is absolutely going to research, and this is all because of Neil Danaher, who through this terrible time in his life and his wife's life continues to go public and and be interviewed and talk about it. There's a great thing on um, Facebook at the moment that you can download with uh, Tim Watson, a lovely interview they've done. So he's my crush. I think that's a very good crush, Corrie. I'm glad um, you approve of that. I was actually at a 60th with Neil not long ago, and um, he was just fantastic company. And still, it's quite amazing how long he has survived into this disease, which often has a much shorter gestation. Do you think fitness, football fitness, might have had something to do with that? I'm not sure. I'm not an expert. But my colleague Chris Judd is going to be going down the slide on... um, Monday, the Monday Monday week. Yes, fact, Sammy Mitchell's Queen's going birthday. down. Quite yeah. a few are. Quite a few. Co- Last year they had all the coaches, every 18, which every one fantastic. of the AFL coaches. Which was, they might have you one day. Yeah, in well, your green, would it be a green bikini you'd be wearing, Caro? It's a bit, it's a bit of a touch, bit of a touchy subject with me, as now, you know. Corrie. What, are you, what are you grumpy about? I'm grumpy about uh, what's it called, gold class or platinum cinemas, when people go and sit in them and eat food all the way through. The whole point of going to the movies is that you want to sit in silence and watch the movie. You don't want people eat, you know, chomping on hamburgers and chips. I don't understand this concept. Now, if it's late in the afternoon or evening, happy to take in a glass of wine. But this concept now where you... Popcorn or something. Well, I mean, I don't even mind that. You know, it can be a bit noisy, but that's fine. And people who look at their mobile... Well, there were some people in front of us the other day, night, at the movies... They got up. They got up to go to the bathroom at least twice each. They ordered a full meal, which was waiter serviced at the absolute pin, pinnacle moment of the film. One of their chairs was squeaking, and they were treated it like an airline chair. They were up, they were down, they were in, they were out, and they looked at their mobile phones. So people who look at their mobile phones in movies, I mean, do not get me started. I don't go to gold class because, as you know, I don't go to the movies often, but I do find the mobile phone thing at the theatre where I was a couple of weeks ago. Oh. Uh, at, at a talk at the Wheeler Centre, somebody was on their mobile phone sending emails while Camilla Shamsi was talking. Oh, who does that? I just don't understand why people... I mean, I don't understand why you would go to a... The whole point of a movie is you are, it is pure escape. For two hours or an hour Sometimes and a half... Sometimes people or, might feel a bit peckish. You're not anti-food. No, but... And I didn't realise... We didn't realise, me and my girlfriend, that we were going to... Um, that we didn't know we were going... Our lovely favourite cinema, the Como, has now got a new platinum section. Oh. We just bought tickets to a, a, you know, a particular time and we found ourselves in these incredibly comfortable seats. But... I mean, boy, oh boy, those people in front. And I, the food thing I just don't get. Anyway, that's oh, just well, me. Oh, well, take that cinema goers. And if anybody goes to the cinema and feels a whack on the head as you're using your mobile phone, you know, it's Caroline Wilson with her green handbag No, but it. I do do a bit of, you know, leaning over and giving them dirty looks. Oh, oh I in do. the dark? Oh, that's effective. In the, in the, third, the third time a bit of oh, light I'm comes so on. I'm scared. I'm but so you, scared. But you love to be in, you want to be in total darkness and feel, go with the moment. It's hard but to how explain. can you give somebody a dirty look in the dark? Well, because their phone's lit up so they can see you. <laughs> now it's time for BSF, Corrie. Do you want to talk about our sponsor? I will talk about our sponsor, Vital Smarts. Hello, everyone at Vital Smarts. And to our potties, just remember, if your organisation is suffering from unsupportive, lazy or poor performers, 
Vital Smarts Training gives you and your staff the skills to speak up and hold each other accountable. And they're globally proven to solve communication and behavioural problems in any culture or industry. Wasn't it interesting the other day when Jeff from Vital Smarts visited us and told us about the city of Geraldton, a municipal office that was having terrible troubles, including bank account issues, you know, not they much money in the coffers. They weren't talking to each other. They weren't talking they weren't to having each- the crucial conversations, Corrie. Crucial conversations, Corrie, and Caro, and crucial accountability training gives you the tools and skills to talk about almost anything, even the toughest issues. So go and visit vitalsmarts.com.au slash DSTM for a listener-only offer and, of course, more information about what they do. Now, you've got a book you're going I do. to tell us about. I do. It's called Late in the Day by an English author who is about our age, Cara. Her name is Tessa Hadley, and I have just discovered her. This is a, her fifth or sixth book, Late in the Day, uh, and I'm now completely hooked, and I'm going to read all her backlist. Not entirely easy to get in Australia, but I'm sure her star is assenting. This is the story of two close-knit couples living in current-day London. We go back and forth in time, and they all met in their 20s, and they paired off and they married, and they're as close and as thick as thieves. And I'm not giving anything away, but in the first few pages, one of them, Zachary, has a heart attack and dies. He owns a very smart art gallery in London, and his wife, Lydia, is bereft, but so too are Alex and Christine their friends who live not far away, but they've all been friends since their 20s. This is the story of what happens when the balance breaks, when something happens. Now, you could you could look into your own life of sort of divorce or if you've lost a friend uh, and the, then the partner has repartnered a few years later and you're all trying to work out new dynamics. It's what happens to a really tight two-couple friendship when one person leaves the mix and how do the other three get along? I don't want to give anything away except that there is some very interesting things happening in the marriage and also with the uh, the adult children of the two couples. It is a terrific uh, story. It suffered a bit from there's this thing called, you know, I t- told you last week about Cli-Fi. Oh, Cara, yeah. There's, a, there's <laughs> a thing called the Hampstead novel. Have you heard of that term? No. Okay, the Hampstead novel, which is probably the sort of novels you and I absolutely love, it was once defined as a middle-class morality novel, probably involving adultery and shallow masquerading as deep. And um, this uh, this idea of the Hampstead novel, uh, exponents of it, Margaret Drabble, Faye Weldon, Ian McEwan, are all guilty of writing Hampstead novels. Well, that diminishes all of their work, I'm afraid, but it is an interesting sort of concept of what is happening, uh, you know, contemporary lives relationships issues. This is a really good one. And I think, Miss Jane, we might do this as one of our book club books coming up on the book pod. So that's Late in the Day by Tessa Hadley. Go for it. I love it. I've never heard of it. It sounds wonderful. Yeah, it is. It's Thank you for being so interested. It is. Now, you have a screen. I do. Well, I went and saw Rocket Man. Oh, at, and did you eat through the whole at thing? At aforementioned, <laughs> aforementioned um, platinum. Look, the the that negative part of the experience was saved by the movie. I mean, I I should be more discerning about these sort of films, but I absolutely loved it. I mean, the, you know, the story is our time. It's completely our generation. The songs are fantastic. They didn't play all of my favourite Elton songs in it. I remember the first time I heard Benny and the Jets, I was about 11 or 12. I, I went say, off, off. I would say one of the worst songs in the English language. 
It's the one Elton John song I absolutely loathe. Isn't you that say, funny? You say. Isn't that funny? I know it's off Benny. It's a terrible song. Anyway, that's in the film, so you'll be happy to hear that. There's an amazing supporting cast in this film. Gemma Jones, you know, from Mum Sense and Sensibility. Yes. And the Harry Potter yes. films. She plays his and grandmother. She used to be the housekeeper in um Oh. Oh, ABC drama. I'll think of it in a second. Stephen yep, um, Stephen McIntosh <laughs> plays his father, and that that is a very very sad and poignant part of the film. Terrible relationship with his father, but Taryn Edgerton, who plays Elton John, is wonderful. And at at, at the beginning, you think, oh, I don't know if I'm going to believe you as Elton, but you do very very quickly. And he sings, unlike Rami Malek in the Freddie Mercury film, he sings all the songs. It's not a biopic. It is a bit of a fantasy, so it's based around the Elton John story. Elton John and David Furnish, his husband, uh, two of the producers of the film. So it's obviously does, their Does story. Bernie Taupin receive a bit of a Bernie Taupin is one of the main characters. Good to hear. He's brilliant, and he's played by Jamie Bell. You know, the... Um, Billy Elliot, the, the, kid, oh, yes. the kid who played Billy Elliot, oh, is yes. now grown up to be uh, still dancing. Wonderful actor, no, but he's a songwriter. But and <laughs> th- their friendship is one of the um, underlying main underlining themes, underlying themes. But of they the had film. a falling out, didn't they? Very briefly. Mm. Yep, yep. He cl- look Richard Madden from The Bodyguard. You know the man yes. you love from. Yes. He plays the John Reed character, the sort of the Svengali, the manager. His character is also in the Freddie Mercury film, and in both films, he's a very handsome Debbie. In the Queen film, he's older. In this film, it's about him and Elton John's love affair. Elton lost his virginity to John Reid, who became his manager. They had a, and John Reid, of course, then moved to Melbourne. And I've met him at parties and things. I mean, it's amazing his life. But he maybe we could get him on the podcast. Well, no, all the reports about him saying he's reportedly still living in Australia. I'm pretty sure he is. But anyway, he is brilliant in it, and he plays a rather evil character. And I think that he feels he's been wrongly. Portrayed, but you know that's another story. It's not so much about the writing of the songs, although there is a beautiful moment when Elton puts Bernie's lyrics of your song. Mm, that's um, a nice song. To, to music. But most of the songs are about accompanying the story, and it's basically a redemption story. It's quite dark. So is it a musical? Yes, it's quite dark. Oh, well, you Be- know how I feel about some beautiful La La Land. No, well, I love that, but it's different to that. It is a, it is a, it is his story, but leading up to the day he faced up to all his addictions and went into rehab, and he's been sober for so many years now. But he basically stood up and said he was a shopaholic, an alcoholic, a cocaine addict, a bulimic. Um, he had issues with weed. He had issues with prescription drugs. There is a look. It's. Very short. No, Molly doesn't get a Guernsey, but his wedding to Renata at St. Mark's in Darling Point. I don't reckon they say it's in Australia, but Renata gets a very brief look in. As I said, it is dark. It doesn't gild the lily about all of his problems. It's quite sad about how damaged he is as a result of his relationship with his parents. Were you singing? Oh, oh yeah, completely. I mean, it, were the people eating in front of you singing, or they're too busy stuffing oh, their faces? Were, they were just, you know. Anyway, I would, I would highly recommend. Well, Rocket I'm glad Man. You, you're hot off the press there because it only it, was it a preview session because it's only no, just no. It opened over the weekend, and it was pretty much it was booking out everywhere, left, right, and centre. I think it'll do really well. I, really admi- well. I admire the things that you do for this podcast. I know it was a tough. You tough climb, gig, I, I do it. a thousand steps, and you go and see Elton John. Edgerton is not. I mean, t- he won't win an, an Oscar. The way Rami Malik did, he wasn't quite that good, but he was. And there are historical inaccuracies, I know. But look, I loved it. 
Love it. Now, Caro, I have a recipe, and this is from the Elementary Cookbook, which uh, Cheka Coco and I were saying on the weekend is probably just about our favourite cookbook, along with Ostro and Simple, for the last five years. We, the three of us, have cooked so much out of the Elementary Cookbook. I wish the guys from uh, that wonderful delicatessen uh, in. Fitzroy or Collingwood, I can't remember which. Um, I wish they'd do another cookbook. This one is called Roast Chicken with Harissa and Preserved Lemon. You may have even done this in your travels, Caro. So get a free got range. That, got preserved lemon and harissa in the fridge at the moment. Well, there you go. Uh, that could be your farewell dinner that somebody cooks you before you go off to your holiday. Uh, free range chicken, um, three tablespoons of harissa paste, one tablespoon of salt, one tablespoon of black pepper, one preserved lemon, and there is a recipe up the back to how you preserve your lemons or you can just buy them at a good delicatessen, three thyme sprigs, two to four garlic bulbs, depending how big they are, and two to three lemons cut in half, and then roast potatoes and garlic um, and all of that sort of stuff to go with it. So that what you do is – oh, I can't read Coco's writing here. This is very hard. Um Coat the chicken all over with the harissa, rubbing the paste under the skin. Season the chicken with salt and pepper inside and out and wrap tightly with plastic wrap and refrigerate for at least three hours so or overnight. So is it the, the liquid form of harissa you buy in a tube or is it, is it just the spice That's the, powder? The, the powder. The right, powder. okay. Cut one or more garlic bulbs in half crossways and place it in the chicken the cavity along with the preserved lemon and a sprig of thyme. And then you tie the legs together with chicken twine and tuck the wings under and leave the chicken on the bench for 20 minutes to come to room temperature. But I think the key here is to actually have it in the fridge in this kind of marinating situation if you can overnight. Preheat the oven to 260 um, or the highest temperature it will go. I know that's a shock, but I tell you what, it is the most tender chicken I've ever had in my life. Place the chicken on a rat, set in the roasting... 260? Yes, correct. Wow. 260. Place the chicken on a rack and set it on a roasting pan and top with the remaining thyme. Place the remaining garlic and the lemon halves in the roasting pan. Cook for 10 minutes to brown the outside of the chicken. Reduce the temperature to 160 and cook for a further 45 minutes or until the juices run clear when the knife is inserted into the thickest part of the thigh. And then to serve, you just put it on a board and you garnish it with the lemon, the garlic, the thyme and have some potatoes around it, all that sort of stuff. Now, it, we were having trouble. Uh, we I think Coco kept going in and out saying it's not ready yet, it's not ready yet. So you really want to watch it. Once you get to that 45-minute mark on 160, just watch your chook. Oh, so it's 160? No, you start. You do oh, the first. You do the, sorry. You do the first part of it. At 260, yeah. and then you turn it down, of course. Yep, of course. Right? Yep. So we, and you cook it for 10 minutes just to brown it, and then you, then then you, you lower take it, it down. Yep. So we'll ha- we will have this recipe on the um, Facebook and the show notes. Uh, it is thanks to the Alimentari cookbook, which uh, came out about three years ago and is still available in all good bookshops. Thoroughly recommend it. I think my last meal will be roast chicken. Six quick questions in a green dress. Six quick questions, Carol. Corey, have... I feel as though I'm being set up here. What do actors William Shatner and Sean Connery and the astronaut Michael Collins and Rupert Murdoch have in common? What do you think? Take a guess. They're all men. Oh. They're all famous. They're all 88, the same oh. age as Don't Shoot the Messenger. Oh. Isn't that amazing? The, the things you do for the show... Well, I was done. a bit surprised that Sean Connery was 88. I thought he would have been a little bit younger than that. But anyway, that's interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. What a bit of trivia. What's the worst decision you have to make when you are packing for a holiday, Caro? This is so easy and it's killing me at the moment. Shoes. Shoes are a nightmare to pack. How many pairs? Do you take thongs and walking 
sort of sandals? Do you one pair of runners or two when you're going on a walk? A nice pair of sandals that look nice with a dress if you're going out for dinner, but you want to be able to walk long distances in. I cannot cut back my shoes. It's a, I know it's <laughs> just really take ha- the green ones. Yeah, I don't have any green ones actually. <laughs> no, and then I think I might buy a nice pair of sandals overseas. But you don't want to waste your time shopping when you're in a beautiful ancient city. Take a pair or, of thongs. I always take thongs if I'm going to Europe and it's summer. Yeah, well, I'm ta- yeah, but I don't, can't just wear thongs every day. Well, thongs, wedgies, wedges, yeah. wedgies, wedges, mm-hmm. and uh, a little and, and a pair of runners for walking. I'd I'd, li- I'd limit it to three, maybe four. I think four has been conservative. Okay, I'll try for four. Now, Corrie, when was the last time you cried? Saturday night, watching a video. Harriet, one of the grandchildren who is now old enough to watch an entire movie without moving. Oh, the world is opening up to me again. Little Mermaid, Aladdin. Anyway, <laughs> we were watching Paddington 2. Well, oh, yeah. Can I just do a shout out to Hugh Grant, who is a sensation as the slightly lilacish sort of theatre um, actor, um, bad guy, slash bad guy. Paddington 2 is sent to jail. I am crying. Harriet is on my lap and she turns to me in this tone of voice, mops, don't cry. <laughs> Not, oh, mops, don't cry. Like, just like, shut up, will you? A bit like you with your people in the theatre. Mops, don't cry. Oh, oh. sorry, Hat. Sorry for being born. Sorry for, you know, having some emotion. I think I was watching the last episode of Call the Midwife at the same time. <laughs> crying. I, think I was crying as well. Um, Caro, what's your favourite Elton John song? Clearly not Benny and the Jets. That would be my number. 28. No, no, lower at worst. Um, look, I love Levon. I love Texan Love Song. I love Harmony. But I think if I really had to pick one, it would be Love Lies Bleeding, which disappointingly, none of those four songs are in the film. But Love Lies Ble- Bleeding oh, is just... Oh, that big orchestral moment. Oh, I don't like that in Love Lies Bleeding. Oh, but I just think it's the most beautiful song. Absolutely brilliant. So that's my favourite song. Finish this sentence, Corrie. If I'm going on a holiday and want to find a good book, I should... You should go to the New York Times book review. Uh, you thought you were going to say go to my bookshop by Corrie oh, Perkins. Oh, you can, you can go to my bookshop in Hawksburn. Do that as well. But the, the New York Times book review, which is via newyorktimes.com this weekend, did a thing, of course, remembering upside down season. Summer reading. Dive in. Here are 75 of the latest and greatest books to keep your company as temperatures climb. Well, they're not climbing here. However, it is a fabulous list and they divvy it up into thrillers, bios, you know, all that sort of stuff. It is a great list. So that's newyorktimes.com and it just put in summer reading and put in the figure 75 and this story will come up. That's it, Cara, except you have a GLT. I do. It's a sort of a GLT by way of an apology. <laughs> well, it's not really an Remember how I said Lululemon was cultish? Well, there's a there's You're a cult- being sued. No, no, no. There's a cultish element to it. But what they also do, I mean, they do sell great stuff, I must admit. And it was very hard to focus when I performed my GLT yesterday morning, which is, it wasn't, it was actually Sunday morning. Um, Lululemon have free yoga classes every Sunday morning. Where? At all of their, most of their stores. Uh, different stores might have different times. What, in front of people? Well, you know, you walk, the shops close because it's 8.30 oh, on I Sunday see. morning. Oh, so you go there and they provide mats. You take your glass, you take your bottle of water. That's all you need if you like water during yoga. Take your green leotard. And um, you do a yoga class for free 
I walked there. It was I went with one of my girlfriends. I had the best time. Deb, she told me about it. I mean, it was just a really lovely, beautiful way to start a Sunday without doing, you know, manic aerobic exercise, without going on yet another really long walk, but feeling as though you've done something. Well, can it I... was a bit hard to focus on the meditation bit when I was looking at this lovely pale blue walking T-shirt thinking, oh, that might be quite nice for the trip. But the shop wasn't... Not and... green, Caroline, not no, green. It was pale blue. I might I maybe have to cross over a bit. But yeah, that's my good local tip. Well, a shout out to Maggie, Ocean Beach Yoga. Uh, which is just the best yoga class I have ever been to. I was in heaven and she's just mm. opened her place. So I must um, get there too. Oh, so fantastic. Uh, so, Cara, I won't see you for a couple of weeks now because you're going to I'll England via a couple the overnight of... <laughs> sleeper. The overnight sleeper I'll to see St. Austell. Paddington Station. Oh, Paddington. Don't mention it. I'll start weeping oh. again. Uh, I'll see you after you've had your sunshine trip and then we'll do our walking trip in England, which I'll tell Potties a little bit about next week. Next week, you're not here, but we will be joined, Miss Jane and I, by the wonderful Jeff Slattery, who is coming off the interchange bench. Funny about that. And we're going to talk quinces because I tried that on the weekend and they did will not Will you be turn having pink. crucial conversations about quinces? Crucial. It's <laughs> hey, so crucial. You need to be vitally smart and put more sugar in your quince recipe. Follow what Jeff says and... It's perfect. Well, I didn't... Miss Jane told me why they didn't go pink before. But you have to just listen in. Well, mine go pink. Listen in from Greece, Caro. Don't shoot the messenger and you might find out. Thanks, everybody, for your company. Please tell your friends and family to subscribe to our podcast. And, of course, when we, if you're going through iTunes, don't forget to give us five stars because that helps other people find us. It also makes Caro and I feel really good about ourselves. Send your feedback in. We love your comments and tips. And you can send it to the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page or the Instagram account, which is at Don't Shoot Pod. And we tweet, of course, just join at Don't Shoot Pod. And you can email us as well, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Thank you to the Interchange Bench and to Vital Smarts. We really appreciate your supports. And thank you to Miss Jane Neal, our wonderful producer. And Caro, what do we say? Don't Shoot the Messenger. Hi, this is Leanne Moriarty. Hello, I'm Troy Bramston. I'm Michelle Scott Tucker. I'm Jen Harper. Hi, I'm Anne Summers. I'm David Maher. Join me on the book pod. I'm here with Corey Perkin on the book pod. My name is Vicky Lovell Harvey. Corey Perkin invites you to read The Erratics as part of the next Book Pod book club. I hope you enjoy it. I'm not a member of a book club. Uh, ten or so years ago, I joined a boys' book club, a men's book club, like a boy band, I suppose, and I hated it. We all became writers because we're introverts at heart, I think, and sometimes I even wonder if the introversion came first and the reading came second. You have to find the narrative and you have to find characters, and around those, you build the story. I would have been any one of the famous five. I just wanted to have those sorts of adventures because, believe me, nothing like that happened in suburban Caulfield. Subscribe to the book pod. Subscribe to the book pod. In your favourite podcast app. Wherever you listen to podcasts.